Hey everyone, this is your host, Gans, and welcome to another episode of Startup Conversation, View from the CTO, a collaboration between Table and CircleCI, where we sit down with some of the greatest CTOs in Europe to deconstruct how to build and operate high-performing technology teams. My guest today is Daniel Kraus. Daniel is the co-founder and CTO of Flexbus, the smart and green mobility company. Since 2013, Flixbus has been helping people experience the world through sustainable and comfortable travel, and they now boast more than 350,000 daily connections to 2,000 destinations in 29 countries. I don't have to tell you the technical complexity required to achieve such a feat, which is why my conversation with Daniel today is a must-listen. We cover a whole range of topics, including why business people should understand that engineers are in many ways artists, why in a remote first world company culture is key, how to achieve balance between top-down and bottom-up decision-making, why you should give up your engineering teams ample freedom to experiment and make mistakes, and much, much more. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Daniel. Welcome uh, to the podcast. This is exciting. How are you doing today? Hey, Gans. Thanks for having me. Uh, great. I mean, not really. It, it used to be great until 10 minutes ago, and then it started raining in Berlin. And uh, <laughs> I have to admit, we had better summers in Germany, not only due to, due to Corona, but also the weather is really, I mean, I, I'm hoping yeah. it's better at yours. And um, and Argentina is sunny, though. Uh, yeah, it's sunny and nice. Uh, I miss Berlin, though. Uh, that's my sort of where I want to relocate to uh, a ton of friends. So, so let's let's dive right in. Uh, so to, to, to give you context uh, to the audience, like what's a 60 second version of Daniel? Let's start with that. 60 second of Daniel is um, I'm I'm a techie at heart. That's uh, what I used to study. And somehow people uh, let me know in the past, hey, that works, do that. What my passion is at is more building organizations and really making sure people work well together and functions. And uh, where I had the chance to bring both together was uh, co-founding Flix almost 10 years ago. And I'm responsible for uh, all of our tech department, um, customer service, as well as uh, people in org. And um, I, I love doing that uh, since it started uh, 2011 and hoping uh, that uh, now um, we really get our, you know, second tooth after having survived that uh, corona pandemic which obviously for mobility that had been challenging <laughs> so normally what i would ask is sort of what is the role of the cto and how does this evolve as the company grew from uh, a couple uh guys 10 years ago to over a thousand people now but your linkedin says chief organizational plumber so i'm going to ask like what's the role <laughs> of the chief organizational plumber so uh, uh... <laughs> The chief organizational plumber is responsible to make sure um, uh, energy flows. And I think uh, these fast growing startups, um, uh, you know, most important is that you have enough people doing the right job. And yes, we're a platform company and therefore a tech company. And that means most of our people, a good portion, uh, about 200 to 250, uh, it, it, it fluctuates a bit, I think about 230 currently, are techies. Um, so there is a kind of flow and uh, what I think I have to do in a, in a later stage CTO has to do is um, to make sure the foundation works well. So uh, um, and uh, that, that it's not that easy because agility is a broad spectrum and just copying the Spotify model wouldn't work. And uh, you have to balance it 
between the product and engineering people to the business people and setting that ground um, and at the end making sure we continuously work on value creation on the one hand satisfying the customer's needs and you know that is what a chief organizational plumber does and if it comes to an emergency well it's literally like uh, super mario you come in you know <laughs> plumb it up <laughs> that's that's a great analogy um so i've been talking to to, to ctos for the past couple of months and, and you sort of have something unique, which is like Flex has sort of this interface between the world of atoms and the world of bits. Like normally it's just software. So do you think there's something unique to role, your role that comes from that? Well, I think so. Um, I mean, it's the, the heart with, which um, it keeps, uh, keeps the company going, which beats is obviously our platform, which not only takes care of of sales, but also of the entire inventory management, the planning, the pricing, everything. But the truth is our relationship management between us and the mobility partners, uh, customer service as a real mobility company, which is very much as it would be for any airline or for any train company, that's so much different from a pure SaaS company. And obviously I have to make sure that our techies understand this kind of real world and it's not B2B SaaS as said, it's, you know, they're actual people, and if shit hits the fan, they need to be brought from A to B because that's the service they took care of. It's cool, and they love it, so it's easy, and it's very customer-centric, and we have a cool app. But at the end, they pay for being moved from A to B. And that's something which uh, I, I, I need our engineers to really understand and to buy into. And on the other hand, I also need our you know business folks that uh, that they understand how tech and product uh, development works because this is complicated. No, it's even complex, and I, I keep on saying them, you guys want to create, you know, tons of revenue. You guys want to uh, move hundreds of millions of people. And you ask us as artists to paint the greatest picture you can sell to your customers in order of, uh, you know, bringing them from A to B and then providing mobility. And, you know, if you ask an artist, you have to have faith. It's just, you know, you, you can pretty much say what it has to do. Is it just a painting or a sculpture, but at the end you wouldn't sit there and say like, hey, draw this line, draw that line. And um, uh, managing that balance is important. And uh, I think that comes with a passion of, of uh, working with people and loving to build organization. And it's also important to have some foundational knowledge about technology and architecture to build that bridge. Eventually, I, I, I am even the bridge, don't know. What are some of the tactics, maybe communication pipes or just organizational <laughs> principles that you've set in place to sort of bridge this gap between like business and tech, which is a fairly common problem. It is communication. So in the meantime, uh, we obviously have uh, reached a certain size that I have a very good VP engineering who is in IT architectural perspective is even IT strategy much better than uh, I am. And it's true for uh, our VP product in terms of, you know, the product engineering processes and all that. So my daily diary is almost only communication and i try to not only focus on those strategic kind of communication talking with my vps but i really on a regular basis dive in um, uh, provide a, a, you know space that people can ask myself literally everything run around the office uh, now uh, keep on nudging people via teams because of uh, office is pretty empty so it's uh, you set tactics first, and and it's purely it's purely communication. It's over communicating. I'm I'm sometimes even annoying maybe, but I don't care. I make sure that people get the big picture and how dots are connected. And as uh, things change, also as a management team, 
we really improved uh, or increased the cadence of all hands to really make sure everybody knows where we are currently at. Because, you know, mobility in Corona means safety first. On the one hand, on the other hand, we really have to match the demand out there. And that means it really, you know, it, it changes quickly. Um, and um, that's that's what I do. And I, on the other hand, try to listen quite a bit and uh, here and there hang around in one or two meetings more than I would have had to. Sometimes I'm, you know, muted and, and uh, do other stuff. Um, I, I tell that in, in advance, so it's not, you know, un, uh, impolite. But why I do that, to listen also to certain discussions just in a business perspective, to have an idea what is going on and to eventually uh, being able to, to catch up and explain you know the other perspective so that that is that is uh, what i'm doing um basically all day long yeah. i'm gonna switch lanes a bit because you, you sort of said two things the first one is about having enough people and the right people and the second one you said was sort of the offices are almost empty uh right now so i'd argue that sort of COVID, one of, one of the sort of second order consequences of COVID is that it made talent markets global, right? You just don't need to compete with people in Berlin, but with people in the US and in London and Paris and Vietnam. Uh, so how do you think about recruiting and retaining talent in a world like this? In terms of recruiting, you know, it's not a question any longer if people would like to move from A to B. It's just a question of, um, you know, finding the right talent independent where in the world. Yeah, there are social security challenges, freelance versus uh, just regular employees. Uh, you you have to figure out, uh, but in general, it, it, it's not as relevant as you to, used to be where people live. Therefore, you have much more put focus on what the culture is and how, what it means to work together in such a hybrid environment so you don't have loners. I think distributed is better and I really had to also reconsider our strategy in terms of product teams because we really we, we, we were totally keen on co-location and I still love it. But the truth is, this is somehow past. I also laugh, laughed quite some cool stuff in the 80s. But, you know, at some point in time, uh, V12 combustion engines will be forbidden. That's what it is. You know, deal with it. And um, and therefore, it, 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 we really have to to make sure people get trained how to work in that environment so you must not have loners this is psychologically not good and it's also not good from a productivity perspective first um, and there we really have to improve our recruiting processes independent of that it i always recommend it uh, if young startups uh, asked how to do that you have to have dedicated re recruiters that's the only way there is no other way around to find a good talent and in terms of retention you know, that's particularly important to our model in general, but particularly important to our model during Corona. People were insecure because it wasn't clear how, how you know, mobility Corona, would, what will happen to the company? And it, to make that clear, I, I really was uh, very open and, and, and transparent to our leaders and said like, hey, if you feel uncertainty at your people, let me know. So what I did and I keep on doing to retain people, I engage. If I realize there is a little bit of uncertainty and people love the company, love the job, but they're not sure if it's everything is safe enough and they can feed their families also over the, you know, they do not have to to go to IBM or another uh, US blue chip. We, we are stable. It's a super healthy company, but it's eventually, you know, not, not obvious. So I, I just got feedback where these things 
appear and then I engage. I just I, I I'm kind of a retention guy, um, and uh, because that's obviously very close to my role as a founder, that um, I'm trustworthy, and that's good. One thing about retention is giving people the ability or the opportunity to to grow. Uh, so how do you think about team development? What sort of like career tracks have you developed for your tech teams? Truth is, you know, if you only look at salary and compete with the market and uh, and you do not invest quite a lot to make that a hygienic factor, I'm not saying you want to underpay, you want to pay market average, um, but you want to give people enough opportunities to grow and to be appreciated. And it's about roles, it's about salary, and it's about the content uh, that uh, they, they feel comfortable and, and, and are not uh, open to be nudged by uh, the other tech recruiters, right? <laughs> um, and, uh, and there, the personal development is a crucial game. And I think uh, it can be supported by trainings and coaching and all that stuff. But it has to be much more on the chop to give them the opportunity to play around with new technologies if we're in engineering. So there is one rule we have. As long as there are three people, and three is the reason because if just one guy or girl comes with a new technology and implements something with a new language, though, and he or she, you know, then I've kind of a piece of loaner code that I don't want. If it's three, um, then they basically can also, and it's a microservice or a code service, it's they can just play around with anything. And um, I mean, the, the, I didn't watch closely uh, deep into our uh, code base for a while. And then I was like, whoa, we have to stuff in Scala and in Golang. So you didn't know that. But, you know, it's fine. If long as I, I can make sure it's maintained, um, I give people the freedom to really try out the new shit. Um, even though it's sometimes it's it's not obvious on the first uh, on the first few. So um, giving people room to grow, giving them their own budget to to also you know uh, look for conferences and, and all that is really important because um, that uh, you know gives people a certain perspective. And obviously, we put that uh, we have a very flat hierarchy. We have almost no no additional leaders in in Flix Tech, um, and that means you still have to. It's all a game. It's like playing Diablo. You need to gain experience, right? And that has to be somewhere in inventory. And and uh, therefore, we have uh, um, uh, career paths. I mean, we have a techie career path, and um, that's junior, uh, mid, senior, principal, um, distinguished. And and uh, the the occupation is more or less techie. And the role can be different. Kind of a product owner can be a tester. Can be a, a data science uh, role or the standard uh, engineering role, and then we have um, then we have uh, the kind of the process and product uh, product role, and then we have the the the, the leadership role. That's you know people manager, people uh, engineering people manager, who are uh, more you know the facilitator. And on that role particularly is by the way also attached the, the responsibility to develop their their um their hood um to grow um and there you know uh, people just uh, can not only gain experience but they obviously can also reconsider we had a very good principal engineer who recently decided to become a people engineering manager um because he's like you know i've seen so much and <laughs> i'm in my mid-30s it's hilarious but you know um, i'm like i i know i want to take care about others and uh, you know not only as a sidetrack because anyhow it's expected from a senior engineer to do that but uh, uh, mainly 
and then uh, he just uh, became a people engineering manager and now uh, sometimes complains that he must not uh, commit stuff any longer, but uh, make sure that, uh, you know, people work well together. Diablo is a great game, uh, by the way. Haven't played in years. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, looking forward uh, to that. There's uh, the I think Diablo two remastered uh, ahead of us, so that would yeah, be great. That should be should be fun. That and and, and Age of Empires. Uh, <laughs> All right. So um, you said sort of giving people the opportunity to try shit. How do you think about top down versus bottom up sort of decision making in such a large organization? The top-down decisions are, to me, a framework, some guardrails. So, you know, we can we can afford a certain level of money, cost, for us as FlixTech. That's dependent on um, the top line, because obviously I want to maintain a healthy uh, growth and also a, a healthy bottom line in terms of EBTA. I'm not saying it has to be always profitable, but it has to be healthy. So that means there's a ratio. How much cost? Uh, uh, how much uh, is is uh, the tech organization okay to cost in terms of pieces of revenue? And 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 I explain why I think about that, and that we obviously have to have economies of scale, and you know, da, da, da. so that's the the explanation sessions I continuously do. And if things change because we grow faster and the top line goes up, or sometimes Corona top line goes down, I'm like, you know, that's the frame it changes and that's something which are guardrails i uh, decide top down um, and uh, how to achieve all that uh, you know with what technologies even you know uh, you know backlog people tend to just arrange that properly so they find the best way to 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 move within those guardrails um and and that's almost always a bottom up or rather um, from the customer towards uh, the inside um, in order as said to to achieve uh, what we annually usually uh, set as our budget um, and uh, that's kind of the, the balance between both yeah so it all goes back to communication because you sort of set the frame and then communicate and then people play within sort of that sandbox yeah they, they you know one of uh, one of the key challenges, uh, especially and continuously, uh, if business people and and, and and tech people work together, is that uh, business people tend to tell tech people, "This is what you need to develop." And tech people really, and that's fine, uh, uh, just come back and say, "Like, hey, can you state the problem?" And then I, I come up with a solution. Um, and that's exactly the same. Usually, in that specific um, guardrail exercise. It's not a real problem. I mean, if you then talk about problem, you come close to shareholder value and, and why there's the dogma of growth, blah, blah, blah. It's not a real problem, um, uh, but it's more, you know, what my responsibility as C-level and founder is. Um, so I just uh, set the guardrails, but I can't just uh, shoot a number because then it's like, why is it? Why is it only this piece of uh, the cake or not more or less? And that is, uh, if you are not able to come up with a problem but really ask people to do something without stating a problem and letting them find a solution then it's your fucking duty to pretty much explain it as long as everybody says like ah now i understood what's keeping you up at night over the next 12 months over the next 12 months well that's pretty clear um uh, my wife and i have eta for our little daughter in september so um Emily, uh, thanks, and uh, I'm pretty sure to most of the time of the next 12 months she'll be keeping up, uh, uh, keeping us up at night.
uh, that's the perfect answer. Um, and I'm gonna sort of switch lanes and sort of wrap up with my my favorite one, which is what writer or book has had like the greatest influence on either your career or your life. That's a good question. In terms of career, there is so many. Um, one of the ones um, uh, which I can always what what I would have read if uh, in any in any environment startup you know high growth uh, you know not a classical corporate is for sure um, uh, the hard things about hard uh, things from Ben Horowitz because it's just it really is eye opening if you're a new a new founder or, or uh, you're joining a new uh, younger company it's it's eye opening it's not all true or so but it's it's funny to read and it's eye opening on the one hand. And um, the other one, which I think on a life perspective is, I, I should let, let me Google the English word. Um, I don't, I don't find, I don't find the English title of the book. Well, you know, then people have to choose their own Rushdie book. And they're all the only thing which I have to admit, all of them are pretty thick. So you need to have time. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that's usually not a problem. Uh, I shoot you. I, I shoot you when I found the English title. I shoot you afterwards, and then you just put it in the subtitle of of the podcast. Yeah, perfect, cool. Uh, <laughs> we'll make it work uh, as we usually do. Uh, but I think that's a perfect uh, place to end on. Daniel, thank you so much for your time. It's been fascinating. Very welcome, Lance. Thanks, thanks for having me. And uh, it's it's a cool format. It's anyhow. The only thing I really have to say about um, uh, to, to end that about Ctable is if you hit Munich and the 120 startups to watch in 2021 I'm not sure if I found flicks you guys are too big I think um, all right all right that's the that's the perfect answer though all right. it's a pleasure talking <laughs> to you <laughs> cool uh, thanks so much Daniel. it's been great hey this is Gons again if you enjoyed this episode of startup conversations, please let us know by leaving an honest review. If you'd like to hear more conversations like this one or find out more about the collaboration between Seedtable and CircleCI, visit seedtable.com forward slash conversations. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening and see you next time. Ciao.